Hey everybody, welcome back to Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin, and this is episode 57. And in this episode, we're going to continue our discussion of home servers, and actually we're going to focus on the last two pieces of a LAMP server, and that's PHP and MySQL. Uh, first, though, I did want to say that in case, in case anybody doesn't know already, and I'm sure most people do, that the new version of Debian Etch has been released, Debian 4.0, uh, codenamed Etch. The final release came out on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And uh, I just got to say, I really, it's just a fantastic distribution. I mean, hats off to the Debian team. I know it's been a long time coming. This this release has been almost two years in development, but uh, I've been running it for, for a little while on one of my laptops. And I also just installed it on one of my workstations and it's beautiful and it, it's stable you know, as always, Debian is a little bit outdated when it comes to some packages. It has GNOME 2.14 rather than the current 2.18. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's very solid, very stable. I mean, everything works. And now that the final release has come out, you know, they will start pushing out some updates in the uh, in the next uh, testing uh, branch. And the next release of Debian is actually going to be called Lenny. Uh, so Lenny will start to see some updates, and I'm sure some of those uh, updated packages will start coming down the pipe here pretty soon. But uh, for now, I just wanted to say congratulations. I think Debian Etch is a great release, and uh, I think uh, they have a lot to be proud of. Let's see. We're going to, as I said, talk about uh, PHP and, and MySQL in this episode. I also have a, a ton of audio comments and some email comments and even a listener tip. So we've got a lot of cool things. We might as well get right to it. Okay, um, as I mentioned last week, LAMP, L-A-M-P, stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. Uh, that's sort of a standard phrase for a typical web server. And many, many, many sites out there are really LAMP sites. Um, the Linux Reality site is running LAMP. It's running Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. And last week we talked about Apache, and so this week we'll talk about MySQL and PHP. We'll uh, touch on PHP first, but spend most of the time talking about MySQL. Uh, and, and I think once these, once you've got these four components, um, you know, for the home server, uh, there's the the applications are endless. Uh, one can install a LAMP server, and you know, as I you know, I think I mentioned before, you can run a you know a, a wiki. You can run your own blog like WordPress. You can run your own form. And again, you can do these things just internally, or you can open it up to the outside if you want. Now, there's obviously security implications if you open up things to the outside. And uh, you know, I won't be really touching on too much of the security aspects, but uh, that's definitely something to consider. I mean, if, if, if people are really serious about running a website or a form or something that's open to the outside, I would consider... Uh, at least checking into some, you know, web hosts. I mean, web hosting is so cheap nowadays that uh, you can do it with a web host for a few bucks a month. Just not that big, just, you know, not that big a deal. And uh, they'll take care of all of that stuff for you. So, uh, but I, I thought it would be helpful because there are some times when it's helpful to, to know these things for running internal sites. I know people that run, you know, wikis from it, just inside their LAN as a way to, uh, for the family to kind of keep notes and, and do things. People run PHP calendars. You can even run, you know, almost like a groupware thing for your home, you know, with like email and calendar that all your family members can access and almost like a mini version of what a lot of people have at the office with Exchange Server. There are open source replacements for Exchange Server. 
uh, I mean, replacements in the, t in the context of functionality, they may not be able to communicate with Exchange Server. That's a big hurdle on the corporate side. But for home users, I know people, friends of mine, that have got this stuff set up at home, and I've thought about it. I think it's pretty cool. But, uh, but anyway, w what we'll do is we'll start with PHP and then move to uh, MySQL. Now, PHP is, is, is a language, really. It's a, it's a programming language. It's a server-side scripting language. It's not really a server by by itself, really, um, but it is a language uh, that allows people to run websites that are that can change content on the fly and that kind of thing. PHP is extremely common. Uh, I mean, I would say I think I saw some something somewhere one time. I don't know if this is true, but I remember reading this within the last year that uh, the majority of websites on the internet are now run with PHP or now coded with PHP. I don't know if that's true, but I, I can believe it, especially if you start counting, you know, blogs and personal sites and that kind of thing. I mean, almost every blogging software out there now is written in PHP. Most forms are written in PHP. Uh, there's just so many different websites that are written uh, in PHP. And now I'm not really a programmer. I mean, I've, I learned programming when I was a kid and I did it for a while. I did AP computer science and learned to program in Pascal. And I programmed in a, in assembly language back when I was a kid and that kind of thing. And, but nowadays I don't, I mean, that's not what I do uh, by, you know, for my trade or whatever. So I'm certainly not a PHP programmer. I know just enough to be dangerous. I can hack away at PHP scripts and, and change things. And I've done that. But uh, oftentimes I end up breaking things. Uh, so, um, you know, but uh, so I'm not going to really speak to the programming aspects of PHP. Just uh, talk about how to get it configured. Now, in some distributions, PHP is installed by default, but I'd say most of the time it's not. But unfortunately, it's an easy package to install. Most of the time, the package is called PHP 4 with the number 4, or sometimes it's PHP 5 with the number 5. There's, those are sort of the two current versions of PHP. If you're going to be running a PHP application, just check to see what version of PHP is needed. At least on my experience, I'd say the vast majority of PHP applications are still written for PHP 4, and I'm sure there are some new functionality in PHP 5 that is going to become more, um, uh, you know, more used, I guess, as time goes on. But most most websites uh, run PHP 4 still, I believe. So really, you can just do uh, you know apt-get install PHP 4, for example, and and it will pull in. PHP. Now, if you're going to be using PHP with Apache or MySQL, there's some additional things you need to install that I'll, that I'll mention in a minute, but uh, that will install just the programming language in and of itself. Uh, the configuration file, which I have normally not really needed to tweak, is usually in slash Etsy slash PHP, or maybe it's PHP 4 or 5. And, some, and then in there, maybe there's a subdirectory called Apache, or Apache 2, but what you're looking for is a file called php.ini. That's really the configuration file for PHP. But as I said, there's sometimes when you need to go in there and make some changes uh, that I've come across in, in instructions on how to set up things, but most of the time it's, it's not needed. At least that's been my experience. Uh, so, and, and there's a way to test if PHP is working using uh, Apache that I'll discuss here in a second. But uh, Let's turn to uh, MySQL, because MySQL is sort of the bigger topic here. MySQL is a database, uh, and it, it, there's, it's not, certainly not the only one. Uh, there's one that's called Postgres, and there's one there's uh, SQLite, and there's you know Microsoft's got, um, I don't know what it's called, maybe Microsoft SQL or something. So there's lots of different uh, uh, database uh, applications out there, uh, but MySQL is certainly the most, one of the most common. 
the way to install that is you generally will install a couple of packages. And these, this is what I'm going to read here. These are the names of the packages on Debian-based distributions. But uh, you're going to typically install MySQL-Server is the first uh, application. The next one might be libapache2-mod-auth for authorization or authenticate-mysql. And then often php4-mysql. And again, it would be php5-mysql if you're going to be using php5. Uh, so those, those are sort of the, the basic packages to get the MySQL server up and running. Now, this is a server. This is a, a service that needs to run, and it's usually run in, in um, a daemon mode. And to start or stop it, you would generally uh, do the following, slash etsy, slash init period d, slash mysql, and then start, stop, or restart. And sometimes it's mysqld, uh, so you know etsy slash init d slash mysqld for daemon start stop or restart. Uh, the main configuration file for mysql is is typically slash etsy slash mysql slash my dot cnf. And again, sometimes there's times when you need to go in there and configure things, but the majority of the time, at least in the things I've set up, I haven't really had to configure that too much. The biggest issue with configuring MySQL is how to set up your root password and your users and, and uh, how to create a database. Uh, so that's what I'll talk about next here. There is a graphical tool to let you do some of this that I'll mention in a few minutes. Uh, but really, once you get the syntax of messing around with MySQL at the command line, it really is not too bad. And, and that's my preferred way to deal with MySQL. I've used some of the graphical tools in the past, and they work fine. But um, it's just quick and easy on the command line to to uh, set up a MySQL database and things like that. But you do have to kind of understand the convention. And, you know, without knowing it firsthand, you may not know exactly what to do. But the very first thing that needs to be done, I think, for, for MySQL is you need to set a root password. Now, this is the MySQL root, the MySQL root user. This is not the root user of your system, you know, your administrator or your root a system user. This is the root MySQL user. You, you know, MySQL has separate users, kind of like uh, uh, Samba does. We, you know, several episodes ago, I talked about uh, setting up Samba uh, for uh, you know file sharing via Windows and network computers. And you have to set, you have to sort of create Samba users and give them a Samba password and that kind of thing. Same idea with MySQL. So uh, what you typically would do in the command line is you would type the following. This is to set the root password. It's very easy. This is the very first step that typically needs to be done. You would type MySQL admin, that's all one word, MySQL admin, MySQL admin, space, dash u for user, space root, space, and then the word password, space, and then the actual password. So you would type, for example, MySQL admin, dash u, root, password, one, two, three, four. And that would set the password for the root uh, MySQL user as 1234. Uh, that will let you then, once you have a, a root uh, MySQL user with a password, you can then uh, interact with the, with the MySQL server and create databases and things like that. Now, one little point of security is that you've got this root user, and it, sometimes it's tempting to use this root user to actually, when you know, when you're configuring your PHP application and your MySQL application, to use the root user and password to actually access the data, but I would not recommend that. Uh, it's much better practice to, when you create a database, to create a separate user 
with its own password to access that database. So let's say, for example, you're going to set up a WordPress blog and you've created, you've got your root MySQL user with its, with his password, with the roots password. Well, you want to create a, a WordPress user with a, with its own password. And it's just an extra layer of security uh, that, that WordPress user will be able to, you know, access that particular database, but it won't have root MySQL privileges. So it couldn't go in and mess up other databases. It's just a, that's just a good security practice, pretty standard stuff. Okay. So once you've dis- once you set up the root password for your root MySQL user, then we need to access the MySQL server itself. And this is very easy to do at the command line. Again, you're just in a normal terminal and you would type the following MySQL or MySQL space dash U for user and then root because you're going to log in as root dash P. So what that means is, is you're invoking the MySQL command, which is to log into the MySQL server dash U uh, switch means with the following username and we've put root and dash P means prompt me for the password. And so you'll, you'll, you know, when you hit enter, you'll get a line that says enter password and you type in your root MySQL password, you know, one, two, three, four under my previous example, and then you'll be logged in and you'll get a MySQL prompt and the prompt will change in the terminal. It will be like a little uh, greater than sign, you know, a little triangle pointing to the right. That's, that sort of signifies that you're in the MySQL server. Now, when you're operating in the MySQL server, I don't really have a whole lot of experience with this. I just know the commands I need to know to look at databases and, and set up databases and that kind of thing. But, but generally speaking, when you enter commands, you need to end the line with a semicolon. So you would type a bunch of lines, semicolon, and hit return. So I'll try to remember to say the semicolon, but in case I forget to say it when I'm saying these next commands, just remember at the end of each line, before you hit return to enter the command, there's got to be a, a semicolon at the end. Okay. So the very first thing to do is let's create a database. So it's very easy uh, to do. Uh, you're logged into the MySQL server as your root MySQL user. And so you would simply type create database and then the name of the database with a semicolon at the end and hit return. So let's say you say create database WordPress with a semicolon. And that's it. It's created a database called WordPress. And it's an empty database, of course, but it's a, but it's a, you know, it's a database ready to go. Now, the next thing you want to do is you want to set up a user, a local user, you know, for that WordPress database with its own password. Remember, as I said a few minutes ago, that's better for security. Rather than allowing WordPress to use your root MySQL user, you want to give it its own separate user. So this is how you do that. And this is where you just need to remember this convention or, you know, look it up. It's not necessarily intuitive. And I'll try to explain what this is in just a minute. Okay, so on the next line, you would enter the following. And this is going to be a longer line. Grant all privileges on WordPress, which is, again, the name of the database that I gave it, okay, period with an asterisk, to, that's T-O, and then do a single quote or just a regular quote, and then the new username, let's call it uh, blog user, with a ending quote and then the at sign and then another quote, localhost, close quote, identified by, and then a quote with the new password you're going to give this blog user. So let's call this password ABCD, close quote with a semicolon on the end. 
and hit return. So I'll read that again all together. Grant all privileges on wordpress.star to, quote, blog user, close quote, at, open quote, localhost, close quote, identified by, open quote, ABCD, close quote, semicolon, return. What we've done is we're saying, let me break it down here. Grant all privileges on, and then the name of the database. What that means is there's lots of different privileges that can be given to users of a database um, to create rows, to enter data, to delete data. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a slew of commands that need, that could be used by that particular MySQL user on the database. And you can, you can, you know, you can reduce the privileges by just giving the user, for example, read access only. It's sort of the equivalent. Or you can give them, you know, the ability to create rows or tables or something like that. But when we say grant all privileges, we're saying give this user all privileges, all read, write, create, execute, delete, whatever. <laughs> give them everything for this particular database. That's why we say grant all privileges on and then the name of the database. Now, the period and the star, you know, to be totally honest with you, I'm not 100% sure what that is. I remember I've seen it before. But I think what we're saying is we're basically saying on the database and every table and row that's been created on this database. It's kind of like a select all kind of a thing. But we identify the database that we're going to be granting these privileges on. So we have grant all privileges on the name of the database, period, star. Okay. And then the word to, T-O, because now we're saying who we're granting those privileges to. And then we do an open quote. We give the name of the new user, and we just, by giving the name, if we're, we're creating this user and giving them a password all at the same time. We don't have to create the user and do the password separately. We can do it all in this one line, and we've, we've granted privileges on a database to a new user with a new password as follows. That's kind of what this command does. So we've got to, T-O, and then quote, the name of the user, close quote, and then the at sign, and then an open quote, and we want to put localhost. We just want this user to have access to the local MySQL server that's running on this particular machine, not any other MySQL servers anywhere else. This server's not going to be, you know, we've, we're going to set up the server so it only is accessible from the local host machine itself and not remotely. Because you can have MySQL servers on one machine, and you could have, say, an application on another machine that accesses the, the, the database over the network. So, you know, MySQL is a, is a networkable server, so you can do it that way. There are security implications. So it's better to say we're only going to allow MySQL access from local users on this local machine, and that's it. So we say, you know, the, the username at the local host, and then identified by, and then in quotes, the new password that we're going to give this new user that I called blog user. And we just do the, do the password, ABCD, close the quote, have the semicolon, hit return, and boom, you've done everything. You've, you know, we created the database first, and then we've granted all privileges on that database to a new user with a new password uh, on this particular local host machine. And then uh, two more quick commands. We type flush privileges with a semicolon, hit return, and that just kind of clears clears the, the, it doesn't clear the database, but it clears the privileges. It just kind of wipes the slate clean and lets us shut down cleanly and then exit semicolon. And we're back at the normal terminal command prompt. 
and that's it. And it's really easy to do. You can, you know, log in and create the database. And if there's more commands, obviously you can, one of the commands you can do when you're logged into the MySQL servers do, um, I think it's show databases, semicolon, and that shows you all the databases that are currently in the system. And there's a lot of other things you can do with it as well. But this is sort of the basics of getting PHP and MySQL up and running. Now, uh, last point here before we move on is that the, the, the GUI front ends, there's two of them that are pretty handy. The first one is a PHP application called PHP My Admin. And uh, once you install PHP My Admin, then there is what you would do is you would use a web browser on your local machine and you type localhost colon. And then I forget the port that PHP My Admin runs on. Uh, but you would type in that particular port number, and it gives you like a GUI web-based front end to MySQL. And you would log in normally as your root user, your, nor your root MySQL user, that is, and then you're presented with a graphical interface to do everything you need to do. It's a fairly complex uh, graphical tool. I have found, at least I remember many years ago when I first started using PHP My Admin, it was very intimidating. It just had a lot of buttons and checkboxes, and I was really worried about screwing up my databases. So it's a little much, I think, but there are some good tutorials and good documentation on PHP My Admin because it's so commonly used, especially by web hosts. You'll often, when you've set up a you know a shared account somewhere, they will often give you access with uh, PHP My Admin. So it's pretty common. Another way you can manage um, uh, MySQL tables and MySQL databases is with Webmin. And I've talked about Webmin before. But Webmin is a, is a um, graphical tool to uh, manage all kinds of services on your system, not just uh, uh, MySQL. I mean, there are modules for Webmin that allow you to configure Apache and email and firewalls and DNS. And it's just, it's a, it's a very cool application. It's a shell script and it, and it works really well. It does, it's had some security issues in the past, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a really nice tool. And so you can use Webmin to manage your MySQL databases and do the same things such as create databases, create users, drop users, and all that kind of good stuff. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, those are sort of the, again, the basic pieces of, of getting things up and running and uh, I think with that, we're going to move on. We've got one listener tip to get to, so let's play that next. Hey, Jess. Just wanted to pass along my thanks to you for your podcast and your website. I think they strike a great balance between people like me who are kind of feeling their way through Linux and veteran configurers like yourself. I'll throw in a listener tip here as well. Since you're talking about home servers, uh, I'd like to put in a plug for one of my favorites, APC UPSD. It's a power management application linked to a popular brand of an uninterruptible power supply. The APC UPS daemon puts out network data that you can use to shut down a number of individual computers in a timely and controlled fashion, prevents disk crashes and other hazards. It got an upgrade in February that makes it easier than ever to configure and operate, and I highly recommend it to anyone with critical data on unattended machines. It's got great documentation and even a Windows version. Check it out at www.apcupsd.org.
Actually, before I go on to the uh, feedback, <laughs> I was just sitting here while I was listening to that listener tip. I realized I forgot to mention something. I was going to mention how to uh, create a little page to show you that you've got PHP up and running. So let's say you've got your uh, Apache, PHP, and MySQL up and running, and now you want to test out at least the PHP part. What you can do is in uh, the, the directory where you're going to be serving up the web pages, and if you remember from last week, that might be of uh, a subdirectory in var it could be a, one of your personal i mean a personal users public dash html directory but wherever you're going to do it create a blank file called index.php and put the following uh less than that's an open bracket question mark php that's kind of the standard introductory text for a php tag and then put a space put php info with an open parenthesis and a closed parenthesis right after it, with a semicolon, space, question mark, and then the uh, greater than sign. So that's greater than sign, question mark, PHP, space, PHP info, um, open parenthesis, closed parenthesis, semicolon, space, question mark, and then a greater than sign or a close bracket. And then if you uh, open up your browser and navigate to, you know, localhost slash index.php, it will give you some information about your PHP uh, settings and uh, version numbers and what modules are loaded and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, it, should, uh, it should give you all that good information right there. So that should work out real well. Okay, let's get on to the audio feedback. Hi, Jess. This is Carell from Canada. You've read one of my emails on the show in the past. I really appreciate that. Um, I have actually a suggestion for you. I'm not sure if it's within your area of expertise or your, your field of knowns or unknowns. I would love to hear a podcast at some point about a Java application server. Uh, I know it's a pretty big topic and a lot of things can be said and done for that. It's, I think it's one of those subjects that no podcast has touched yet. As I see you as a pretty innovative podcaster there that uh, deals with Linux and these open source technologies, I thought that I threw the suggestion in there and that maybe you had some knowledge about it or you would be willing to, to research it just a little bit or maybe also some, some of the listeners that you have might uh, listen to this suggestion and they might uh, pitch in some information or have a couple of tips or uh, some resources or maybe I'm completely wrong and there is a podcast out there that deals with that. I love your show. I, I listen to it every week. Keep it up, man. Great stuff. Uh, well, thanks, Corral. That's a uh, nice audio comment and thanks so much for sending it in. Uh, it's a good idea, but to be honest with you, I have literally zero knowledge about uh, Java servers. And while I, you know, I often have ventured into areas where my knowledge might be a little questionable, uh, I have tried my best to really only talk about things that I have some knowledge of. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's something, I think it's a great idea. And so what I would propose is this, is if there's a listener out there that, that knows about this and would like to record a 10 to 15 minute segment on Java servers and send it to me as an MP3, AUG, or WAV file, uh, preferably AUG, uh, maybe I can put that in as a, as a show and, you know, sort of have a, I've talked about having, you know, listeners sort of almost do like a guest host spot, you know, in a 10 to 20 minute segment pre-recorded 
that I can sort of then drop into a show. I think that'd be very cool. It sounds like a great topic, and I would love to hear it. I would love to learn more about it, uh, but I just, I'm just i probably not the right person to, to do that. So, uh, But thanks for the suggestion. I do appreciate it, and hopefully someone will you know have some ideas about that, or maybe it's something we can talk about in the forums. Here is an audio comment. Uh, I believe this one is from Jim. Well, hello, Chess. This is Jim from Homa, Louisiana. Um, really enjoying your podcast. I uh, Not necessarily new to Linux. I had tried it back in the past. Uh, you know, I had even bought a copy of Mandrake 7, I think it was, way back when. And at those times, you know, we were fooling with uh, 233 megahertz PCs, and uh, a lot of hardware was not supported. But anyway, long story short, I've piddled with Mandrake or Linux, on and off, and now I've gotten to the point to where we're in the future. We have DSL, we have possibility of downloading distros real easily, so here lately I've been piddling with a couple of different types of distros, and right now on my work computer, which is a 500 megahertz machine, got 128 megabytes of RAM, I've got a SAM Linux, which is a PC Linux OS derivative. Everything is working. The only thing that's a make or break deal for me is faxing. I have the HP lip on there, however, the faxing is real cumbersome with it. I'm looking to uh, just, I don't know, have a fax machine or fax server i don't know what you want to call it because all i really do with the windows side is i have a program called hot fax message center and it'll just allow me to type in I, everything is paperless you go ahead you do your faxing you i can take an excel spreadsheet print it to the hot fax message center bam it's gone then when i want to receive something i just go click receive it's got a graphical interface it's so it's easy and right now, that's the only thing I go back to Windows for because it's so cumbersome in Linux. Can you help me get me a, a some kind of a tutorial uh, or something to make faxing in Linux easier? If not, uh, could how would this type of a program run under Wine or anything that could at least allow me to stay in Linux because I like it and it's uh, well free, you know, it's big incentive. So uh, if you could help me, I would really appreciate it. Thanks, and really enjoy the podcast because it helps me to learn a lot about Linux. Okay, well, thank you, Jim, for sending that in. I uh, Several years ago, I remember uh, messing around with faxing. I had a machine that had a, I had a modem card, a hardware card that was supported, and, and I, had, I had that all set up. And I think what you want to do is you want to look into, uh, it's called Hylafax, H-Y-L-A-F-A-X. There's Hylafax, there's efax-gtk, and there's gfax, which is a graphical front end to some of that. But yes, Hylafax can serve as a fax server on a Linux machine, and it works very well. It's very well supported. There's, as I said, there's some graphical front ends of different types. I think the efax-gtk is a graphical front end, if I recall correctly. And there's some excellent documentation about it. There's a nice one at the Gen2 wiki. If you go to gen2-wiki.com slash how to underscore fax underscore server, or just do a search for fax server in the Gen2 Wiki, there's a, docu there's a document there. There's several others I found on the internet just Googling around for Linux uh, fax server. But I think Hylafax is what you're looking for. 
I think that with the graphical front ends should serve your needs. It worked pretty well for me, but it's been many years since I've messed around with it. Uh, I haven't really had a need to do any faxing uh, lately, but but it does work. Uh, as far as the other application running under Wine, that I don't know. I've never used that application. What I would do is go to winehq. I think it's .org, uh, but that's the main Wine uh, website, and there's an applications database there where you can go in and you can do searches and, and look for applications to see if they are supported under Wine. I just I, I really don't know. But I think those Linux solutions would probably work well for you. You're right. Like with with many things in Linux, sometimes it takes some, some manual tweaking and configuration. It's not going to be necessarily all point and click. But I know that the people I know that have used it extensively have found it to be extremely stable and works very well once you get it set up and configured. You know, the biggest problem is going to be your modem. And I guess you didn't mention anything about that. But, of course, finding a modem that's supported in Linux is very hard because so many of those modems are these wind modems or these soft modems that rely on on Windows code that's just not available. I mean, the drivers are not – it's not really a hardware-based modem. But if you have a true hardware-based modem that works and is supported under Linux, then I think Hilofax should work well. So uh, good luck, and thank you very much for sending that audio feedback. Here's another audio feedback. This one's from Alex. Chess, this is Alex Landefield hailing from North Huntingdon, PA, an eastern suburb of Pittsburgh. I love listening to your Linux Reality podcast. It's one of the several podcasts I listen to regularly during my lengthy commute between Pittsburgh and Wheeling, West Virginia. While I'm not now using Linux, I was a co-founder of the Western PA Linux Users Group on the web at www.wplug.org. And you might say that I therefore have a lifelong interest in seeing and hearing how people are using Linux. I've recently begun a podcast of my own, which I consider to be a spiritual outgrowth of my attendance and participation in PodCamp Pittsburgh last fall. At the moment, I'm using GarageBand to record and produce my podcast, titled Minute Lit, which is about books, words, and literature. But I know you use Audacity, and I've been working and playing with Audacity on both Mac OS X and Windows XP. I was interested to hear in part one of your home server show that you'd made some change in your podcasting method, but you didn't elaborate. Could you please elaborate on that? Although this audio piece was recorded using Audacity and my PowerBook's built-in mic, I've been using an inexpensive headset mic and Griffin's iMic for my podcast. Using the iMic with OS X allows me to aggregate the signals from two iMics for use in interviewing. Thanks again for the great and consistent work on your Linux Reality Cast. Talk to you later, Alex Landefeld. Thanks, Alex. Uh, very nice uh, audio quality, I must say. That was that sounded really good. Yes, I did uh, mention in that first home server episode that I've changed my configuration just a little bit, not much. What I've done is I used to record everything in audacity and the way i did it uh because what i have is is i have a you know a microphone and i have a little mixer board it was a very cheap little 30 dollar mixer board and i also got one of those griffin iMics, which is that sort of usb sound card and what i have been doing in, in you know as i said i've mentioned in the past i like to kind of record the show on the fly so to speak so it's almost like it's recorded live I basically queue up all the clips and the e- and the audio comments and all that kind of stuff, and I just start from the beginning and play the intro music and uh, and then talk and then play the next clip and that kind of thing. So, um, but it then it has to be recorded. So I had to use two sound cards. I had to use my internal sound card to get the music and the clips out, you know, and into the mixer, 
and then the microphone comes into the mixer, and then the mixer goes out into the into the other sound card, the Griffin iMic, and the whole thing is then recorded in Audacity, and that has been working pretty well. I mean, I haven't been too terribly pleased with the quality of the recording. Me personally, I'm just, you know, I mean, it's 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 not bad, and I work really hard. I try to do the best I can. I really focus on the audio quality and really try to clean it up when it is a little messy. But um, the uh, Griffin iMic, while it's supported in Linux, it just seemed to be a little flaky for me. And anyway, so what I ended up doing was I recently got a, you know, a little, a little recorder that takes uh, secure digital cards and it records in, in lossless wave format. So now what I do is I just have this little device next to the mixer. Now the mixer goes into this device. Uh, and so I record directly into lossless wave on this little device, not onto my computer. So now I just use a single sound card to actually to still play the clips and all that. But it's rather than coming back to the computer to record, it gets recorded directly onto this little, this little device. So it's pretty cool. It seems to be working pretty well. I'm still testing it out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, trying to continue to improve the quality every chance I get. So good luck with your podcast and, uh, let us know how it goes. I got an email here from Luis and Luis says, hello, chess. I've been listening to your cast now since episode seven or so great show and great service to the OSS community. Uh, he said, I heard about uh, your episode on Slackware and it inspired me to give it a try. And he just, he goes on to say he's been using Linux uh, since uh, Linux kernel 0.9 something, so so quite a long time ago. And he says, Slackware, I've always known of Slackware, but never thought to install it as a learning experience. I've set aside an old GX150 and challenged myself to get it to the level of a full desktop system like Ubuntu. And at present, he's got it installed, created users, changed the keyboard, uh, configured the network settings, configured Xorg with XFCE and working on the audio. In the process, I've learned a lot. And he goes on to say, thank you so much for suggesting Slack. Got to say it's my favorite distribution now. After this, I'm setting up a server with Slack, uh, then LFS, Linux from scratch, or Sorcerer slash Lunar slash uh, Source Mage Linux. Thanks again, and keep up the great work. Thank you, Luis. Uh, here is an email from Abdullah. He says, hi, Chess. Thank you for your great work. I really like your podcast. It is the only one in my RSS reader. It is easy to understand, friendly, and no swearing. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you have a plan to make an episode about podcasting, talk about hardware, software, and how to make noiseless files. Another suggestion for a special episode, Linux hardware like Kulu, that's K-O-O-L-U, uh, Linutop, L-I-N-U-T-O-P, Gumsticks, and others. It is great to see how people around the world using Linux for more than just a desktop OS. Keep up the great work and sorry for my poor English. Thank you, Abdullah from uh, UAE, United Arab Emirates. Well, Abdullah... Thank you for that email, and gosh, that's not poor English. That's excellent English, so <laughs> no apology necessary. Uh, yeah, uh, those are good ideas. I, Well, I guess I just did kind of talk about my podcasting setup and hardware and all that, but I do, I've thought about doing an episode on that specifically. Um, several people have asked me about it. Several other people starting up podcasts have asked me to do that, so I, that's something I may do, and I think these, these little um, embedded Linux hardware devices are very cool. We've actually been talking about some in the forums. Uh, I've been looking at the Socris, uh, uh, which is a which is a, a board you can get, uh, and they can you can get a case for it too. And you can get you can basically create your own little computer. It's it's almost like a size of a router, like a Linksys router. It's like that size, 
but you can create your own and you can make it a router, a firewall, you can make it a wireless access point with, you know, with you add in the correct cards, a mini PCI wireless card, for example. And I've been really looking at that and thinking about that as a fun project to work on. I've been thinking about setting up my own router slash firewall slash open VPN server slash wireless access point using one of those little Socrus boards. And uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So <laughs> if I do that, maybe that'll be a topic someday, but that'll probably be a ways down the road. Uh, here's a message from Antonio. He says, I just discovered your podcast and I'm currently listening to episode seven. So I have a lot of catching up to do. I love it already. I've been playing around with switching to Linux for years, but could never make the leap because of the software I need is not there. Can I ask which package you currently use and why? I'm looking uh, for a package to allow me to do video and photo editing. I know GIMP exists for photo editing, but I, need, but I find that it has a large learning curve for me. Also, there, is there any Linux software that will read raw photo files? Uh, sorry for the dumb questions, but I have so much learning to do. Any thoughts you might have would be great. Thanks, Antonio. Antonio, those are not dumb questions at all. Gosh, um, GIMP does read raw photo files, but what you also might want to check out are some of the photo management applications in Linux. Uh, two that come to mind, one is FSpot. Uh, that's a GTK-based application, uh, which is really nice. I really like FSpot a lot. There's also Picasa, which is from Google. If you go to picasa.google.com, there is a Linux version of Picasa. Some of the problems with Picasa is it's a proprietary piece of software. It also includes its own bundled version of Wine to get it to run. So it's kind of a big, sort of a bloated application, but it does work really well. It also reads raw files. And there's a KDE application. I think it's called, uh, gosh, it's been a long time since I've used it, Digicam. And that's a pretty nice application as well. So I would I would check those out. I think they all read, I'm pretty sure they all read uh, raw photo uh, files. And then you can either edit them in those applications or if those applications are not uh, sufficient enough, you might be able to save them in another format and edit them in GIMP or Inkscape or something else. So uh, good luck, Antonio. I hope that helps. Here's a message from Ron. Uh, last email here for this week. He says, Ron, I would like to get some advice on whether Linux would be a viable OS for my home desktop, and if so, which system to use? <laughs> That's sort of the classic question, isn't it? Um, I currently use Windows XP on a home-built system with an Intel P4 processor. I'm not a gamer, but want a fairly high-performance PC for typical Internet applications, Word, Word documents, spreadsheets, etc. My motivation for considering Linux is that I've become extremely annoyed with Microsoft due to their arrogant attitude about resolving a validation error with their, quote, genuine advantage software that has pre been preventing my OEM XP software from receiving updates. I could go to the Mac, but I prefer to build my own computers using fairly high-end components. While I am willing to invest some amount of time uh, to install and use the OS system, I want to have a high degree of functionality, compatibility with Microsoft Office files, and I don't want to learn to be a programmer. Thoughts from Ron. Well, Ron, I definitely think uh, Linux will work for you, given those uh, given those needs. You know, basic, you said tip, uh, typical Internet applications, Word documents, spreadsheets, etc. You said you're not a gamer. I think Linux will work great. And for those specs, Pentium 4, Intel, yeah, that's not a problem. What I would recommend is consider uh, taking a look at, let me mention a couple different distributions. And I would see with Linux, and if you've been listening from the beginning, you probably have heard me say this, I think part of the attraction of Linux is the variety. Some people think that's a drawback. I think it's a, I think it's a, an, an advantage, personally, because there's a lot of people out there. We're from all different backgrounds, all different countries. All, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has their own 
preferences, and so it's nice to have something for everybody. So I would start with Ubuntu, uh, Fedora, PC Linux OS, and OpenSUSE. I would start with those four, and maybe FreeSpire, although I haven't used FreeSpire, so I can't comment on it directly. But I've used the others, you know, some more than others, and those seem to be some excellent distributions for new users. If I had to actually pick one to, to you know, where should what should be my very first one, I'd probably start with Ubuntu, just because it seems to be right now at least one of the most popular ones. It seems to have a lot of support behind it. And it does seem to be very easy to get up and, and, and get going. Um, and But, you know, if you find that it doesn't work for you, uh, definitely try Fedora or, as I said, PC Linux OS, I think is also very new user friendly, as is OpenSUSE. Those are all very good distributions. And I think with those needs, uh, you know, OpenOffice does a pretty good job of reading Microsoft Office files. Unfortunately, nothing is going to be 100% because when you're locked into a vendor that chooses not to uh, create an open document format, then there's only so much that third parties can do. And that's, you know, I think, you know, people who've been listening to this podcast for a while know that one of my pet peeves is is locked up content. I just really, it really bothers me. I don't have a problem with proprietary software, really. Like if you want to buy Photoshop or something like that, I can understand that. Or even a, you know, a game, a 3D game, that's fine. But I should be able to save my data in formats that can be used by other applications. I just, I really feel strongly about that. And unfortunately, the Microsoft Office formats are not, um, are not open. So, you know, we're locked down, we're locked out. Uh, but OpenOffice works pretty well, and Abbey Word works pretty well for word processing. Uh, there's other spreadsheet applications for, to replace Excel. I would try with that. And if you really can't do without Microsoft Office, then, you know, some versions of Office can be installed and run very well with Wine, um, Microsoft Office 2000, in fact, I think runs great with Wine, and uh, uh, Crossover Office, which is a commercial product, which is basically a a tweaked version of Wine, you know, a really customized and supported version of Wine that also works really well. So I would check out those, and please do give Linux a try, and I think uh, any of those distributions would be a good place to start. And if you try one and you find that it's just not it's just not for you, Try another because they are a little bit different and they do things a little bit differently. And you may find most, I think, Linux users kind of bounce around for a little while before they find one that really works. And so don't be afraid to do that as well. And the nice thing about uh, some of those distributions is that they can be run as a live CD, which you so you can test it out first without having to actually install it onto your hard drive. So good luck, Ron. I, I And please do let us know. Feel free to post in the Linux Reality Forums if you have any questions. And I think with that, everyone, it's time to wrap it up. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the uh, the episode on uh, PHP and MySQL. And my plan, at least right now, tentatively, uh, is to uh, next week to kind of bring these pieces together and maybe create, you know, and go through an installation of something. I haven't decided yet what it will be, but to install Apache MySQL PHP and kind of get it all configured and running on the local on the local side, you know, so you have something running internally on your LAN. Uh, and then we'll, maybe we'll turn to some other home servers that I think people may be interested in as well. So we've got a lot of good things to talk about. 
Thank you so much for all the great audio email, uh, audio comments that you've recorded and sent. I can't tell you how much the audio comments are fantastic, and those will be played on the show. I've had a few people send me some that I haven't been able to listen to, so I'm working on some more. But please feel free to call the Listener Reality Hotline at 206-338-6359 if you want to leave a message. You can also use the Odeo web-based service. There's a link uh, in the on the Linux Reality homepage. And, of course, you can just record an audio file and record an AUG or record an MP3. That's what most of these people have done that sent me them this week. And just send it to me. Just email me at linuxreality at gmail.com. And, of course, send me emails as well, just regular text emails. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening and staying subscribed and participating in the forums and all that great stuff. It's been a good week, and uh, I look forward to the next one. This will be, uh, let's see, next episode will be episode 58, so we're just trucking right along. Anyway, have a great week and a great weekend, everyone. Take care. In the meantime, this has been episode 57 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.